Hello. It's March 17th, 2023. My name is Simone, and this is a special edition of 90s Crime Time. Hello and welcome to a brand new special edition episode of 90s Crime Time. And if you're new to 90s Crime Time, welcome to the show. Like always, I hope you all had a wonderful weekend and a wonderful week. I'm a little late with this week's episode. I do apologize. But I'll go ahead and say for those of you, uh, oh, excuse me, (laughs) for those of you that are new to the show, every once in a while, I'm doing something new called Minisodes. It's not new to the podcasting world. It's just sort of new to 90s crime time where I take um, some, some episodes, some 90s cases and make them a little shorter. They're still interesting, at least in my opinion, and just make them a little shorter just so you can get just a little bit of a 90s case until you have or until I uh, upload a new ni- full length 90s case. I'm really excited to share this one. It's a really sad yet crazy case. And um, it's something it's a, it's a case that I'd never heard about until I did some research literally a few days ago. And I know today is St. Patrick's Day, uh, but unfortunately, I didn't realize it was that time already, so I don't have a St. Patrick's Day-themed minisode. But like I said, this case is still very interesting in my opinion, and it does have some details of sexual and elder abuse, so listener's discretion is advised. And with that, let's dive in to today's minisode. The year was 1997, and in the city of Dayton, Ohio, a city known for its innovations, people here were mostly doing typical things, like going to work, taking care of their families, or maybe spending some leisure time with friends. And if you were a tourist, many took in sights of Dayton's many museums, like the Dayton Art Museum or the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force. Overall, the people who lived and visited Dayton thought the city lived up to one of its nicknames, Jim City. However, in April 1997, the people of Dayton learned of such a ghastly and horrific event that occurred in the city that would leave many natives and tourists alike in disbelief. And when the people of Dayton found out who was behind the heinous act, it would leave many wondering how it could happen. In the following case, you'll find out what the heinous act was, the investigation, and the sad aftermath in a case I title, How Could He? In 
In the early morning hours of April 18, 1997, at around 2 a.m., a security guard working at Dayton, Ohio's Franciscan Medical Center saw a horrifying sight on the hospital security cameras. In the nearby neighborhood that could be seen on the cameras, on Rigel Street, a house was engulfed in flames. The security guard called 911 and then ran to the home next door of the burning home and alerted that home's residents about the fire. The inhabitants of that home were able to quickly leave the residence in case the fire spread. And shortly after they stepped outside, firefighters arrived to put out the blaze. As they tackled the blaze, they went inside the burning home to continue putting out the flames. However, when some of the firefighters stepped inside, they came across another intense sight. A body laying on the floor. As the firefighters continued on to the second floor to fight the fire, they unfortunately came across a second body. But despite the firefighters' findings, they still had to fight the flames. And as they were doing so, a small crowd began to gather around the scene to witness what was going on. After the flames were finally ceased, the sun was starting to rise, and the crowd got a little bigger outside the home. By this point, detectives arrived on the scene, as many usually do, and they learned from the small crowd that many of them were the relatives of 75-year-old Ivory Franklin and his wife, 71-year-old Ophelia, who were owners of the home and they were hoping and praying that they were okay. As time ticked by, however, and the smoke cleared, the coroner's office removed the two bodies found on the first and second floors of the home. Detectives weren't sure if these were the bodies of Mr. and Mrs. Franklin, but their families knew in their heart that they were. And a short time later, after the medical examiner's office examined the bodies removed from the home, they confirmed that they were indeed those of Mr. and Mrs. Franklin. When interviewing their family, detectives learned that Mr. and Mrs. Franklin lived in the home with their daughter Stephanie, who was at work on the night of the blaze, their son Anthony, who went by the name Tony, who was unaccounted for, and the Franklin's grandson, Antonio, who was also unaccounted for and who was not the child of either Stephanie or Tony. As the investigation continued, detectives still questioned the family, but they wanted to focus their search for the two missing men that the family said were unaccounted for, 38-year-old Tony Franklin and his nephew, 18-year-old Antonio. But when investigators went back inside the home, they called firefighters back on the scene because they believed they saw something ghastly and wanted to confirm what they saw. When firefighters came back inside the home to check what investigators saw, on the first floor, in the center of the living room, they confirmed that there was a charred, almost disintegrated body. When that body was removed, 
it was transported to the medical examiner's office, and later on, it was identified as the body of Tony Franklin. Upon further examination of the three bodies, the medical examiner determined that Ivory Franklin and his son Tony were beaten and had smoke inhalation, and that Miss Ophelia was beaten and had been shot in her face meaning that not only had the three family members been victims of a house fire, but that they had all been brutally murdered. However, it wasn't clear if father and son Franklin died from smoke or from being beaten. According to reports, Mr. and Mrs. Franklin were married since 1947 and had lived at the house on Rydal Street since 1955. It's unclear what Mrs. Franklin did for a living besides help raise her children. But Mr. Franklin worked for 34 years as a roofer. And after he retired, he picked up a part-time security guard job to keep active. The couple had seven children during their marriage, and they were known around Dayton as a quiet but loving couple who loved their family and church. As a matter of fact, Neighbors of the couple didn't even know who could have done this to them because they were apparently the sweetest people and seemed to have no enemies. Tony was known by his church members and family members as a quote-unquote good brother who was the father of three young sons. And he worked for a machine company. Back to the investigation, detectives learned from the Franklin's family members that no one still hadn't heard from the Franklin's grandson, Antonio, and that Mr. Ivory's car, a blue 1988 Chrysler Fifth Avenue, was missing, and that no one else drove that car except for Mr. and Mrs. Franklin, meaning that whoever killed the Franklins was more than likely the one who set the house on fire and stole the Franklins' car. Meanwhile, 340 miles away, in Nashville, Tennessee, Metro Police received a call later on on the 18th that a strange-looking man was walking around a local park near some homes. Police drove to the park and spotted the man who looked like he had blood on his clothes. They walked up to him and questioned him, but the man was evasive with police. Thinking that he was suspicious, police decided to frisk him. However, as they started to frisk him, the man fled and ran. The police caught up to him, continued to frisk him, and found a gun in his jacket pocket. The man didn't have an ID, and when they asked his name, he kept giving police several different names. And eventually... Police arrested him. He was charged with resisting a police stop, unlawful possession of a weapon, and criminal impersonation 
because he would not give them his name. At the station, the man was fingerprinted, and due to his name already in a database, his name was confirmed to be Antonio Franklin, Mr. and Mrs. Franklin's grandson who was missing from the home. According to reports, Antonio, although loved by his grandparents, was born into a world of uncertain circumstances. He was born to a mother who was allegedly an alcoholic, who allegedly drank while pregnant with him. She was also allegedly abusive towards Antonio as he grew older, but he apparently still excelled in school and got good grades. However, once Antonio reached adolescent years, his mother's attitudes toward him apparently got worse, and he was sent to live with his grandparents, Ivory and Ophelia. Reports state the relationship with Antonio and his family members in the home started out fine, and outside of the home, he started to date. But when he turned 17, reports state Antonio began to change. Antonio started to smoke weed, which his grandparents highly disapproved of, especially in their home. And it's unknown why, but around this time, Antonio started to talk about bizarre things to his girlfriend and friends, saying things like extraterrestrials would abduct him. At the same time, Antonio and his grandparents would frequently argue because Antonio skipped school a lot, had been arrested for having a handgun in which he served a little time in juvenile detention for, and when he was finally out of high school, he would barely work until he stopped working altogether, upsetting his grandparents. Back in Nashville, after Metro Nashville Police confirmed Antonio's name, they set his bond for $10,000. But a short time later, back in Dayton, police were told by some of the Franklin family members that they should take a look at Antonio, because he was the only resident of the home that was unaccounted for, and that they knew he and Mr. and Mrs. Franklin got into arguments frequently. Detectives back in Nashville tested the gun found with Antonio and learned that it belonged to Ivory Franklin, a man that was said to be living in Dayton, Ohio. Nashville police got in contact with Dayton police and told them they had a Mr. Franklin's gun with Antonio. Dayton police, in response, told Nashville police that he was wanted for questioning regarding a triple murder. And shortly after, Dayton police arranged to speak with Antonio in Nashville. When detectives arrived to speak with him, they read him his Miranda rights. Antonio signed a waiver, and almost immediately before the interview, Antonio told the detectives, quote, You figured out I did it. End quote. After hearing this, the detectives questioned him as to why he did it, to which Antonio responded, quote, They weren't treating me right. We were always bumping heads. End quote. 
He also told detectives that his grandparents threatened to kick him out of their home, and that later on he had a separate argument with his uncle Tony, who he alleged raped him when he was 14, and that on the day of the murders he allegedly insinuated that Antonio liked men, which set him off. So he grabbed a nearby baseball bat and beat his Uncle Tony. He wasn't done yet, though, because he then beat his grandfather Ivory with the bat. And once both men were down, he went upstairs, beat and shot his grandmother Ophelia, lit the home on fire, and fled in his grandparents' car. With this confession, police charged Antonio with two counts of murder, one count of aggravated murder, and one count of arson. When he was arraigned, Antonio entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity and claimed to be incompetent to stand trial. The trial court rejected this claim, and the case proceeded to trial where prosecutors announced they were seeking the death penalty. In the beginning of the trial, which began in 1998, one of Antonio's cousins told the court how Antonio was full of rage and hated that his grandparents made him get a job. She told the courts she tried to talk him into finding a job and even took him to fill out applications, but he was still very angry about the situation. On the other hand, the defense called to the stand Antonio's mother. She testified that she was schizophrenic and that her son witnessed her suicide attempt in 1985 and that may have caused his rage. Meanwhile, during his trial, Antonio engaged in various forms of disruptive and inappropriate behavior. He flashed gang signs at the jury, belched loudly, and repeatedly interrupted the judge. A psychologist also took to the stand for the defense and said Antonio had severe psychological problems made worse when he smoked marijuana. As a last-minute effort to represent their client, the defense called an arson expert, who suggested that the fire was not an arson, but looked like an accident that was caused by an overturned heater. However, the prosecution came back with their own arson expert and firefighters who were at the crime scene. They testified that the fire was set deliberately and there was no heater in the home that could have caused $35,000 worth of damage like an arsonist would. After closing arguments and the jury rested, in August 1998, Antonio Franklin was found guilty of all charges. And the following week, Antonio Franklin was sentenced to death. And even after several appeals, as of 2023, Antonio Franklin remains on Ohio's death row, with his execution date set for February 2026. The story of the Franklin family murders comes from the sources of the Dayton Daily News, Case Law, Maryville's Journal Review, and others I'll put in the notes.
All right, I'm going to do a very short opinion piece, but before I do that, I want to clarify some things in the uh, from the episode. Um, number one, I'm not sure, I tried to find it everywhere, but I'm not sure why Antonio fled to Nashville, uh, P, uh, P.S., that's where I grew up, near where I grew up, kind of interesting, but I don't know why he uh, fled to Nashville. Some reports stated that he had family there, specifically his father was there, um, but I don't know if he saw his father because the same day he was arrested by Nashville police or what they what we call Metro Nashville police or Metro police. So I don't know if he even got to see his father, if that's the relative that was indeed there or if there is even a family member there. It has not. I didn't see any concrete evidence of a family member living in Nashville, but it was very specific that he went to Nashville from Dayton, which is several miles away. So I don't know if he had family members there. Number two, I'm not sure if um, his uncle Tony uh, actually sexually abused him. Um, it's just something that he said. I couldn't find anything if it um, that showed or proved that his uncle Tony did that to him or that he called or said he insinuated that he liked men. No one knows what really happened in that home except that Antonio Franklin murdered his grandparents and his uncle and admitted to it. And um also, there were some suggestions stating that Antonio had mental illness, that he was schizophrenic like his mother. But like I said, I couldn't really find concrete evidence about that either, um, that it didn't really matter any, either way because the Ohio courts sentenced him to death, found him guilty and sentenced him to death. And my only thing I have to say is I know some grandparents can be very strict and but you know, I just felt like from what I've read about the Franklins, they wanted the best for their grandson and that they were bothered, of course, that he was living up in there for free and didn't want to get a job. And he didn't even want to finish school or do anything really with his life. He just wanted to smoke weed all day. And I don't know if um, weed can cause um, bizarre thoughts like that, talking about extraterrestrials, because um, I've heard um, that. Well, I don't want to say I've heard, but I, I know that if you lace weed with things like like harder, like harder core drugs, you can have delusions. But I don't know if marijuana by itself would cause you to have those delusions. I just think that it would just be um, you make you calm. I don't know. But I, that's what I've heard from people who have used that drug. But I, I don't know where the extraterrestrials came from. And I didn't see where he said that for decades. He just said it right after he turned 17. It was really weird. I don't I, I don't know much about Antonio Franklin's personal life, but it was a really weird occurrence um, as to how this all came to play. But extraterrestrials and things like that to his girlfriend, I, it's just very confusing. But I do know from what I've read that he was full of rage, angry at his grandparents and his uncle, very angry that he had to get a job. And after having an argument with his uncle, allegedly, that's what set him off, which is very, very sad. And he beat these people to death and shot his grandmother in the face and lit them on fire. And unfortunately, his uncle and his grandfather uh, breathed in the smoke. And like I said in the episode, I can't tell if they died from smoke inhalation or um, being beaten. It could have been a combination of all of it. I don't know. And that the sadder, another sad part was that Tony was found almost disintegrated. Like, oh my gosh, it was horrible. And um, I want to know what you all think of this mini-sode because, like I said, it was one of the cases I had never heard of until literally this week doing research. And um, that's it. Thank you for tuning in to a brand new mini-sode on 90s Crime Time. And I hope it wasn't too short and that it was still interesting enough. 
If you liked what you heard and listened to the show on Apple or Spotify, make sure you rate the show if you haven't already. Make sure to look out for new content on 90s Crime Times YouTube and Medium.com page where I make frequent new content, content and I'll put the links in the show notes. Lastly, make sure to check out 90s Crime Times Instagram page where it all began where I post new crazy 90s stories, mostly on the weekend. And as a matter of fact, I have a um, St. Patrick's Day themed post ready for you all. And um, I hope you find it interesting. And um, stay safe and healthy. And I'll see you soon for a new full length episode pretty soon on 90s Crime Time. <laughs>